Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, wherever you are listening or watching this podcast today from. I'm your host, Adam Parry, and you're on the Event Industry News Podcast. Today, I am joined by William Thompson, um, somebody I've known for a long, long time, probably like a decade now or something. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, for those that don't know, William is um, the CEO of a company called Gallus Events and also practically Practically Perfect PA. That's a, that's a mouthful, that, mate, I must admit. Um, for those that don't know, William works really closely with some really high-profile customers, helping them to create new events and, and helping to improve their existing events. Um, he also speaks around the world at industry events on how to organize events, how to do virtual events, how to do online events. Um, and actually, his own blog um, is regularly listed in kind of like the top 100 industry blogs and, and publications out there to kind of go and get good information and resource and quality stuff. Um, and just personally, I see William and refer to William as the go-to person when it comes to doing online events or pivoting your current physical event business to, to a virtual uh, event business because William's been doing it for years so arguably he's the he, like I say he's the go-to person um William I, I really want to get into kind of your experience around virtual and, and online events because it's, it's not something that's new to you um, but it is new to lots of other people but to set the scene how, how did you get started within the events industry what was your first foray into it well I, I started uh, when I was at university I organized my university graduation ball so that was the first thing that I did. And um, I can just remember I was in a meeting with like 15 students. The association had said, we're not running a ball this year. So if you want one, you have to organize it. And I hadn't done anything on events before. You couldn't study events at this point. You know, there was no courses or anything. Oh, yeah. And I can remember sitting in a room and people were saying, you know, how do you organize the event? What do you do? You know, who's supposed to do what? What are all the action? What's, what's all involved? And I can remember just sitting there and... Um, it just all seemed to fall into place. It all made perfect sense to me what needs to be done and by and by what type of person and what they should look over. And I just kind of do what I still do now, which is just sketched everything out. And then after half an hour, I said to everyone, I think that's what you do. And everyone looked and went, wow, that is what you do. And I said, well, you know, I'm glad I helped. And then I went to leave. And then everyone was like, hold on a minute. You're not leaving. You're clearly the only person who knows what it is we're supposed to do. And it just seemed like a really natural process for me. And I think ever, mm. kind of, you know, that was 20 years ago now. And I think ever kind of since then, it's just kind of made sense in that way. So that's how I started. And then I set up my own business running graduation balls for other universities. And then um, I eventually had to draw down to London. And I came down and worked for a big commercial organization doing, putting prog programs together and doing, uh, and doing sponsorship. And then I worked yep. for another few organizations. So that was kind of how I got into it. It was very much a kind of chance happening. I never really wanted to do this job. Um, it's just what I ended up doing. It'd be really interesting. I think there's probably, I would hazard a guess. I bet there's more than 50% of people that end up being event organizers that have had a similar kind of experience of you as yourself. Like somebody's not, somebody's got to do it. So why not, why not me? And then actually found a real passion or the fact that they, they have got the skill sets, whether that be project management, event design, delivery, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think... But it's interesting the types of events that people want to do because I spoke at um, Leeds University a few years ago to their kind of second year event students. 
And, um, you know, I said to them, right, okay, you know, who wants to be a party planner? All the hands went up. Who wants to be a festival organizer? All the hands went up. And, you know, who wants to do product launches? Everyone. And I went, okay, who wants to run a conference? No one. Who wants to run an exhibition? No one. Who wants to work in a venue? No one. And I said, I'm really sorry, but those three jobs are about 95% of the jobs that are in the events industry, you know, so it's, it's big and it's, it's big and it's broad and you can end up anywhere really. And obviously it's completely changed now with this, uh, with, with virtual and digital. So some of those jobs will still be there, but there's a whole plethora of new career opportunities for people who want to get into events now that this is seen much more as a digital product than a physical product as it was in the past. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I'd love to come back to that because I think there's some really interesting information, both about, like you say, career opportunities, um, growth for, for companies themselves, but obviously new opportunities for people to come into the event space that we would have not, not necessarily thought about as event organizers, but more maybe as creators and things like that. So just touching upon kind of like virtual and hybrid events, you know, William, lots of people are kind of scrambling to pivot or, or find out the information, but you were a trailblazer, right, with, with this really, it's, it's nothing new to you. In fact, you're advising lots of people at the moment, people that I'm in groups with you and, and, and the wider sphere, and you've got your own training course out now for people to be able to understand what they need to do to go online. But it's not new for you. How did you first kind of make that transition from what you were doing physically um, to online? Because it takes quite a lot of guts, if, if I'm honest, personally, I think, anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, I started doing it, well, it was 10 years ago, and I would say it took even more guts then because the technology was just absolutely atrocious. Yeah. And the understanding of what people would watch and engage with online was very different then. Um, and I came to, I suppose, almost in a similar way to a lot of organisations are at the moment, um, but it was a supply and demand thing for me. Mm. I ran a series of regional events on a really hot topic, and um, I couldn't fit people into the spaces that we had. We used it. I was working for a, a, an institute at the time, and we had our hall, which held 200 people. And we'd run all across the, the, the country. Um, in England, we'd, we'd gone up to Scotland with them, and we had huge, loads of people wanting to, wanting to attend. But we didn't have room for, we re repeated an event in London, and it was like, we don't have room. And I just took a step back and thought, well, how can I get more people to see the content? And it was the, well, why don't we just, you know, live stream it? If it was called live streaming, then I don't, I don't know. But it was very much, I was pulled, I was then pushed towards uh, virtual. And that's what's happening at the moment. So many people are pushed to it rather than taking a step back and thinking, hmm, this is brilliant. What are the things this allows me to do? How can I restructure my business? How can I lower my risk? How can I offer more? How can I target a new market? Very few people are being pulled to the digital environment even now they're still being pushed by this i can't run a physical event so i'll run a digital event so my journey was similar in that sense and mm. um, it was just to try and generate the revenue and get the coverage for the topics that we were that we were covering did you at the time have that fear which i think lots of people have or have had before around cannibalizing an audience almost and and especially sponsors feeling that there wasn't as much value there because they didn't literally get to shake hands with people, which might not even be possible for the next year or two. So yeah. same fear at the time. And if so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, well, I suppose that's kind of two, that's two questions in one. And, and for one of me, the kind of, for the first part, um, 
the cannibalization is one of the kind of myth busters that I do. You know, there's very, very little evidence that suggests if you start live streaming something or if you start showing something in, in virtual, then people stop attending the physical event. Very little evidence for that. Anecdotal, but not really an overall trend. And mm. um, I think if you start giving your stuff away for free online and you charge for your physical event, then you're going to cannibalize your audience because yeah. you're offering something. So, so the first thing I did was when I went to my boss and said, I want to uh, create this as a virtual event. Um, and um, she said to me, okay, um, will, that, will people stop coming if they're attending the event for free? And I said, hold on a minute. Who said they were going to pay for this event? Who, who said they were going to get this event for free? And then I had one of the kind of other senior directors say to me, you can't charge for this. It's not good enough. People won't come, you know, just be a waste of time and an effort. And at, at the time, you know, I was still relatively young at the time. I just said to him, let's try it. Yeah. You know, because I think we've got great content. People trust us and they're desperate for the content. There's evidence of that. So let's charge. And it was kind of, I had to get over that hump with the organization. We're quite conservative. And then they were like, okay, what are you going to charge? And then I said to them, uh, exactly the same as I'm going to charge for the physical event. And there was, there was just like a silence. That then I went, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, people are paying for this content. So why charge any less? And it yeah. was like that question, why charge any less? Why It kind of echoed around the hall. And they were like, you're in charge of the events. Uh, uh, so I live streamed it. You know, we didn't really do anything apart from pointing the camera at it. There was no yeah. hosts or moderators or anything. So it wasn't designed for digital. It was just allowing people to see it. And I think we made, I can't remember, but kind of five-figure profit just from for, from that event because people wanted the content. And, and, and you know, and I've, that's one of the principles I've taken through with all of my clients is that, you know, if you've got content, if you're trusted for delivering that content, or if you're trusted for bringing people together to make these connections, if you're trusted by your sponsors to give them really good coverage, then why wouldn't you see this as a, an opportunity to make money? Because if you don't, then how do you come back in a few months or a year's time and say to people, everything you were getting for free, you get, we're, we're going to charge for that now. Yeah. And people are like, well, what I was getting for free was really, really good. And I yeah. really enjoyed it. So why should I come and do the, do, the, um, do the physical event? So there's definitely and understandably a short termism in looking at this. And a lot of um, organizations I'm seeing are thinking, we're just desperate to stay in this space. Let's get something up. Let's give away a lot of good content. Let's start giving away connections. Let's give great coverage. But they're not making the revenue that they should be making. And that's what I'm trying to help my clients and through my training course, other organizers realize that if they don't approach it in a similar way, they do the physical events, then they're not going to be in business for much longer. And that's what I think is really, really important to concentrate on. So that's that whole cannibalization side. And then I suppose probably I've answered that second part, which is that if you offer the value, then why wouldn't people want to say the, uh, pay the same for the virtual compared to the physical? It's all about the value prop uh, proposition. I, I totally agree with you, really. And my analogy is, you know, cinemas are still healthy businesses. They're still the way that the content creators around films, you know, launch their their content into the world, right? The advent of Netflix and YouTube and things like that have not all of a sudden shut cinemas down. And a cinema is an event. It's, you know, 100 people or so come for a few hours or for a day to watch 
and listen and hear and look at content and people still invest in that delivery because they they like that physical aspect of it they like the, the fact that they're there and they're sharing that experience and I absolutely agree with you you know I think I've seen myself so many people do that knee-jerk reaction to keep our face out there we need to do this because otherwise people aren't going to be here when we're ready to, to, to come back to physical events. But that doesn't put any money in the business at that moment in time or pay for anybody's work, right? Um, it's understandable, isn't it? It's understandable. You realize why people want, want to do that. You know, and I said, I think certainly my job as a consultant is to understand where the clients are coming from and then trying to help them achieve that objective with maybe not going down the route that they think's the only route for them to take. Yeah. But it is important to be in this space uh, what about, if you're planning to go back to physical events. What about events that, let's say, are already free or have been free and they're driven much more by, let's say, exhibitors or sponsors and things like that? What, what's your advice there to, to people in that space that have already got a free product around content but are then wanting to either have to do something online because they're currently in this situation where their event would happen, let's say now, and they've not got the option to postpone. Like how, how have you been advising people around that? A, a, couple, a couple of ways to, um, to come at that is that what I'm trying to do with, with all of my kind of support, you know, what we'll cover on this call and the course and the consultancy and my blogs is to say to people, this isn't just about getting an event and pivot, pivoting it, okay? Mm -hmm. That's actually quite easy to do. There's a digit, uh, digital design element and there's pricing and there's making all of that, right? But, and, but that's, that, you know, that's relatively easy. This is an opportunity for you to take a step back and look at your business uh, or look at your role and think, what is it that we do and why do we do it and can we do it differently? By, um, by looking at digital. So this is as much about an event as it is about digital transformation. And, and that's what I did with my other business, Practically Perfect PA. You know, we, we, we changed into digital business, digital delivery, um, our revenue was all digital. And I know you're doing a bit of that, um, you know, with, um, with, with the two things that you do, the event and also the, the, the publication. So it's yeah. taking a step back and thinking, do I need to try and replicate this? Because that's, that's where I'm seeing people failing when they're thinking, I've got a, a, hundred, a hundred stand exhibition, I'm going to take it online. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you really need to think about what's value proposition, because as I say to everyone, and a lot of people just kind of like take this one way or the other, but people don't want to go to an exhibition. You know, exhibitors, they don't really want to spend three days standing at an exhibition selling to people. Okay, I know you're. I know you're nodding, Adam. Yeah, but right. So you're one of them. But they just want the leads, and they want to be able to sell. They're not really that fussed about how that how that how that comes to, to to play. And this is where I think a lot of events businesses are brilliant at generating content, are brilliant at generating connections, and are brilliant at giving coverage to their commercial partners. But so does it have to be? from an exhibition that's now taken online and that's what I'm really trying to say and I've got one uh, one client who has got six exhibitions to run at the end of the year and he's been saying to me how do we pivot these and, and I said to him well, what's your objective and he said well I want to make you know x amount um, for my family and I said okay well maybe there's a completely different model from what you're really good at that isn't running six exhibitions because you know there's a, a high risk a high cost a relatively low profit per attendee. So it's just an opportunity to look at your business very differently. And I know a lot of people watching and uh, who are on my course, some of them are just being tasked with pivoting an event. Mm, yeah. I want to help people do that. But on that wider sense, there is the take a step back and do you need to do what you've always been doing 
and just think about it in the digital world. Probably not. You can probably do it differently. Do you think then the future, and, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but do you think the future of what an event organizer or the traditional event organizer might look like actually might revert back to what more of a publisher looks like you know a publisher tends to have events as part of their overall portfolio of content delivery don't they they have you know a, a, maybe a news website or a, a magazine like uh, traditional media they may have a podcast they may have do video and recorded content and through those mediums they well do a great job at creating an audience that they can then filter into their live events and, and market to them themselves at very little cost because they've got the audience there rather than partnerships and media and advertising stuff but they've essentially got a 365-day uh, revenue opportunity in either selling a subscription model to the, that audience for really high-level quality content or still taking what sponsors and, and exhibitors that we have at the live event and providing them with marketing and advertising opportunities through the rest of the year. Do you, do you, think, do you think it'll be that or do you think it'll be something totally different? Yes. Yes, right. <laughs> and you've explained it. You've explained it beautifully. Yeah, but not I, for everyone. Not for everyone. And I think there's going to be a, a situation where um, companies that just put events on are going to really struggle um, in in the kind of short or medium term. And I don't think a lot of them will be around in the longer term. For example, I had one conversation with a bloke of you know a group of five or six solid career guys in their 40s conferences exhibitions that's mm. probably done and i had a conversation about them what the new world looks like and it seemed like a chasm for them to jump because they didn't have they weren't they weren't necessarily respected to deliver content so in the virtual world people always right. talk about the kind of tribes and who do you follow and who do you like and and the the human instinct is to build up a relationship with people online and, and you get to trust and then that leads to revenue mm -hmm. and if you're just entering a space you know, imagine you and i put on an event which was i don't know in like telecoms you know yeah. if, you, if you just drop in from nowhere people are like I'm, i've not got that relationship with you i don't trust you so i think those types of businesses are really going to struggle and i'm certainly saying in the, the medium term that you really need to be seen as someone who's an authority on this kind of area that you're in or do something so different and so dynamic that people are drawn to you because of the kind of newness and the shininess of what you do so yeah. i do i do think that's a way to go but i think a lot of people are going to struggle with it because it's completely alien to how they've put their events together do you think on the opposite on the flip side that the barrier to entry i mean Arguably, has there ever been a barrier to entry to somebody becoming an event organizer? I don't know. You know, nobody really looks at a corgi stamp, do they? For, for somebody who's putting on an event, they just trust in the brand, what they see, the messaging and that kind of thing and wait till the event happens to see the quality of it. Um, but uh, do you think that the barrier to entry to people to transition from other digital means, publishing, content creators and things like that have, do you think the barriers become a little bit lower now that we're moving more into a, to a hybrid or online world? Um, yeah, it, it really de it depends what type of people that you follow. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the businesses I look to and aspire to are these, you know, these um, uh, American folk on YouTube who are making hundreds of thousand dollars a month from yeah. the content that they're pushing on YouTube. And yeah. these are the people that I'm thinking, this is who we should be aspiring to, you know, not a, a you know, a Euro money or a, or a read or whatever, look at these people because they've set up their business in such a way that they're, 
you know, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and there's like four people working for the company. Yeah. And the barrier for entry to them for a digital, for, a, for an event was really low. And it's even lower now than they can do it. They can do it virtually. But a lot of them are saying, there's no money in events compared to the effort that you have to put in, you know? So yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it's a really, really good question. And I think a lot of people will be navigating this. But one thing I wanted to touch on was this idea of evergreen content. And this kind of, you know, you might notice kind of, you know, the four hour work week, the lazy revenue, all of this type of thing. Event organizers have always had this culture where you've got to be working 12, 14 hours a day, absolutely bashing your pan to get this event and to make it happen. And then it's great, there's loads of money coming in and then you get three hours rest and then you're doing the same thing again. And a lot of these other industries, digital industries, just take a step back and think, you're putting in all that effort to make you know, X amount, we're doing a 10th of the effort to make 10 times the amount because we're not yeah. fixated on this kind of explosion of content coverage connections over an event. We're thinking about it much more uh, over a longer period of time. And I don't think I'm any different. I don't think you're any different from like Seth Godin or, you know, or, or people who are generating revenue from their knowledge and from their ability to connect people. And, and I think we should be looking at these people, these big trailblazers on, on YouTube and saying, how are they generating revenue from the content and the connections they have, rather than how can we run an event online? And as I said at the start, that's the big kind of chasm for so many organizers to, to jump over because this is about you know business transformation as much as it is digital transformation. So just on that then, do you think one of the major key parts of the transition is just the way that we think about the content that we're delivering? We tend to focus very much, don't we, on delivering that content, like you said, in a very short period of time, over a day, two days, three days, a week, if you look at but actually, that, why is that content not relevant for the next 11 months after? Okay, an industry might move on quite quickly, but let's be honest about it. I bet 99.9% .9 of YouTube views are back catalogue content, aren't they? They're not stuff that, that's been published that day. So is it, is it a mind shift kind of thing, do you think? It should be. It should be. And I, and I think um, the kind of, you know, the millennials and the people who consider themselves digital natives, you know, which is an age constraint there are going to understand this much better and, mm -hmm. and and I think I said that one conversation that I had with those six old school conference and exhibition you know I, I literally felt like I could have been speaking Chinese to them and it would have they would have made as much sense because they just really struggled with that and you've got you know there'll be an 80% 80-20 model here 80% of people will just try and do what they've always done and then 20% of people will realize that, that things have completely changed for the for the for the better in most circumstances and that's who i'm hoping to find through my consultancy and also the training courses trying to get the people who you, who you feel you can help because you won't be surprised i didn't call those six blokes back and they didn't call me because it was just a world that was just so far apart and so and that's the exciting thing for me that not the exciting thing for me that there's six guys there who are probably going to have a business that kind of burns out gradually as we as we move forward but actually the opportunity it creates for more investment and more money and new talent to come within the space because then they have no fear about changing and transitioning from a 
current way of working to a new model because they have hadn't they've had they've not had that kind of ideology before they're kind of like let's see what we can do with this technology let's see what we can do with online events and we have an audience existing already so let's provide them with an event all year round or multiple events all year round and then transition them back to other content as well absolutely i think there's a huge opportunity for smaller players um, and there's like a democratization of the events business happening now because if you wanted to put on an exhibition you know it was huge money that you had to invest i mean we've both done it you know if you if you've not got a hundred thousands to put down to put down at the start you're going to struggle running an, an exhibition so exhibitions have been an area where there's been so little innovation because the, the business as a whole is run by like 15 huge players and the conference market's quite similar but now it's like you know what I can put on an event and have two and a half thousand people at it and can generate a lot of revenue and I can do things differently. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the kind of smaller and, and medium players. And it's a big challenge for the bigger companies. And, you know, I think it is difficult and there's early evidence to prove that it's difficult to run uh, an online exhibition, you know, and I'm really keen to see how you do it in November. And I know content's always been a crucial key part of your event but it's difficult at the moment to get people to engage with a digital floor plan because bear with me here your your opposition to your digital floor plan is google right yep. in the sense yep. that they're landing on your page and it's got a little bit of information where it's like well if i do a google search i'll get all of this information i'll be able to quickly you know it's it's, it's a real challenge and certainly the early evidence is that it's easy to get people onto the platforms, but it's difficult to them to engage with the, with the ex exhibition and that exchange part of the connections pillar has proven really hard to do. So, you know, I'm really keen to see what yeah. you're going to do and what other people are going to do because it's, it, it, it's, it's difficult and you can't just bring that across that model straight across from the, from the physical world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, arguably we're still as an industry right at the very early stages of of that journey you know it will be for me i think for years to come um a refinement process and learning from others and copying what others do and finding out what works and doesn't work and getting feedback from exhibitors and visitors um i almost feel that there shouldn't be so much focus on exhibition models going forward i think actually if if i was coming into it now a smarter play would be to go down the ticketed conference content route with some digital sponsors wrapped around that as extra revenue if i'm honest um from a publishing perspective um we have the challenge that event tech live has been yeah, but you know how much work how much work goes into putting an exhibition yeah it's a lot it's, i mean it's, it's a huge it's, amount yeah. it's and that's it's it's just as hard to do and to do it in a virtual space it's not like it's an easy process i mean we, we, to go back to practically perfect pa and how we kind of really got into this and um, my um, partner the founder uh, nicola wanted to run an online event for ages and i said to her i'm really keen to do it but i'm just not confident that we'll be able to earn the money that we need because it's quite a lot of effort and she said to me i think i think we've got a chance and i said okay well let's do a crowdfunder and if we don't raise six thousand pounds for our online event, we don't do it. And that was an amount that I thought we kind of, you know, we would have been able to earn easily from a physical event. And she said, right, okay. And I kind of thought, we're not going to earn that. And within like three days, 
we'd reached six thousand pounds on the crowdfunder. And okay, so I put it up to like eight <laughs> to see how we raised that. And it tailed off just, and then I put it up to nine. And, and within like two weeks, we raised nearly £9,000 for a crowdfunder to run the virtual event. And That's I said amazing. to Nicola, we've got something here. And the reason that people are trusting us is because of how amazing the content's been from your, from your blog over the last few years. So we ran that event and um, it cost us about 1,500 quid to put on. And we made £25,000 from it. There you go, people. If you're listening now, if, if, if William can do it, no offense to William, then anybody can do it, right? The, the technology crowdfunders are out there. I'm sure people have got blogs and contents and other means of, of, of channeling those, that audience into an event and arguably actually at much less risk because you don't have to book venue and put deposits down. And, and ultimately, let's be honest, if, if it doesn't materialize the worst case is you refund everybody don't you in that in that instance wherever you're going for a physical event you still, the venue wants paying it's, we were only charging 50 quid yeah and we were charging 50 quid so we got nearly 500 people to pay 50 quid and we awesome. had a one day it was a one day event it had like 14 sessions a bit of live bit of q a you know this was three or maybe even four years ago now i can't remember twice then or three years ago and that was it. And we just thought we've got a business model here. We need to be, we need to move away from physical events, which is what we were doing to much more, to, to much more dig, this digital world. And then the final thing that I wanted to get across again was this idea of evergreen content. After we did three or four of these virtual seminars, we spent a couple of days looking at the 40 or 50 sessions that we had, you know, they're all recorded. And we thought, how can we start splicing them up and turning them into training courses? Yep. And we thought, hey, we've got 10 that talk about technology for our market, which is executive assistance. So let's have a 50 quid, 10, you know, 10, you know, six, seven hour training course on um, technology. We did one on career development and we kind of just turned that into an evergreen model. And even now, you know, as you were saying about YouTube views, um, nearly half, well, actually, since, since COVID hit, um, over half of our revenue has come from our evergreen content. And I'm looking at all of these event businesses and I'm thinking, you, what, what, are you, what are you doing with all of your content? Because it's just this explosion and then you move on to something else. And I'm thinking, you really could run six events. You know, you could run six events, put it all on courses, and then you could go to the Bahamas for six months. You know, do you have to be continually creating this if, if you really take this this um, this lazy you know this this lazy approach to, to to revenue or the passive income, and I think we're in a wonderful position to do that. I wanna I, I'm conscious that you're short on time today, mate, because you're extremely busy at the moment and uh, delivering your own stuff, but also advising and and dealing with people on the course. Cause, and I do want to cover some stuff off on the course, but could you ever see? I think somebody tried this many many moons ago. Could you see a professional platform? like YouTube that's there for organizers like us to upload our content and take that little bit of the middle bit that's the difficult bit and look, probably a lot of reason why people aren't monetizing their content is because they don't have the infrastructure to do what YouTube have done and Google have done which is be the bridge between advertiser and sponsor and content creator. Do, could you see like a business YouTube in the future where conference organizers and exhibition organizers can put that content up and in a long term? I remember, I remember Chat TV. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. Which was, um, uh, I, I guess, it's called William. I think he's doing really well. He's now based in San Francisco. And it was a really good idea. A really yeah. good idea. Um, I think something like. Too early to say 
thing? Yeah, he, he tried it, but not to a huge extent. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's the thing. There's so many more opportunities opening up. And I did want to touch on technology because this is something on the groups that we're in. I've kind of you know mentioned to a few people, but we at the moment, as an industry, we're being held to ransom by the mm. platforms. Okay, mm. And you can look at it in any nicer way than that, but that's what's happening. And they're able to charge what they want. They're able to dictate the terms because there's such a huge demand for it. And we are. We've, we've got no control of that. And when this happened to the big music companies, because my background's from um, uh, music management. I used to manage bands and run a record label in between my event stints. But um, uh, the record industry, the music industry, was really worried about piracy and the jump to yeah. digital. So they got Spotify and they invested heavily in Spotify and they said, hey, if Spotify is going to make money, then we want the events and the music industry want to make that money. So all the big, all the big um, record labels are big shareholders in Spotify. So they made sure that they were going to earn their money from these platforms. And I just think our industry has been way too passive and we've just sat back and we've let all of these kind of, you know, Stanford MBAs come on and design platforms that are not suitable, don't do everything we want. And we've just been there thinking about our next event. And, you know, this is all, but you know what I mean? It's like, this is what's happened. Nothing's going to change if we just think we're people who play a, you know, are a link in this chain rather than thinking, well, how do we own this? How do we control it? Then we're just going to be caught again the next time something like this happens. It's really interesting you say that. I was on a call yesterday with a, with a guy called Marco who runs um, Vesuvio Ventures. You know, he, he he's dealing with Informa, with Reed, with Clarion. They, they all have their own digital investment funds um, working separately. And, and he's trying to corral them to come together to create an, an industry fund for that very thing so they can play a role in not only the progression of that technology through investment but a role in designing and how it works for them specifically to get the best out of it as a business but also for their attendees and exhibitors and you're absolutely right that's missing at the moment we are passively buying into these solutions not being able to give them a steer but also not benefiting as an industry from the growth of those and, and, and the income revenue drivers from those and pos possibly the exits of those companies into, into other digital streams like Marketo or Adobe or something like that as, as they grow. So I think you're absolutely right. I think I'd love to see, I've invested in a couple of event technology companies and I'd love to see more of our industry put profit and revenue back into those technologies for the benefit of those companies, but also for the benefit of our industry in, in giving a steer on what they look like and, and how, they, how they play out. Last question for you, mate, because I really do love your course. I think what you've put together for people who are starting at zero have got so many questions about where they should put time and effort. Just, just as a highlight reel, what kind, how have you divided your course up into segments and, and what's the focus of it in terms of when people invest in it, what do they get out of it? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is I, I've been organizing events for 25 years and I've always kind of thought I've been at the cutting edge. So mm. the virtual aspect is part of it. But what I've been doing is the, for the 10 years I've been doing consultancy is to say to people, there's certain ways that you can make an event better for your attendees and for your stakeholders. And and really, a lot of people weren't that, weren't that interested when you were mm. talking about the physical world because they thought their physical events were great. 
And now digital, everyone's saying, wow, we need to make all of these changes. And, and I'm saying, yeah, but you should have been doing all this for your physical events anyway. You know, you don't have to just think about how people engage with your content because it's virtual. You should have been doing that anyway. So, you know, I have been doing virtual for a while, but I've been thinking about how to make events much more interactive and engaging for as long as I've been organizing events, you know, kind of, you know, for, for nearly 20 years with this kind of content aspect. So I'm bringing all that into the program and it's not just about virtual and digital. It's about how do you transform your events into an experience that people are going to engage with and an experience that your sponsors and your commercial partners want to get involved in. So I took about a week really to structure the course, bringing in everything that I've done over this period of time and then also looking specifically at what's been distilled over the last six months helping in clients. And that's all in there in the structure. Um, but I've not recorded much of it because a lot of it is absolutely at the cold face right now because I'm ha helping five or six organizations do this. So I'm wanting to work all this through. And it's what, what people are getting on the course is this kind of you know, 25 years of knowledge distilled through five or six live projects to say, this yep. is what's working. And, and it is, it's a, a structural thinking, you know, right from the start is why are we doing this? What are our options? So we look at kind of business model and then it's going through them. Well, why are people engaging with this? What's the value proposition? Okay, we've kind of got that. So how do you deliver it? What are the options and, and platforms? What about coverage? Is it just before? Is it just after? And then drilling down as much as possible. But I've said in, you know, typical sales speak, I want people to kind of lead this digital revolution. And I feel mm. that to do that, you're not going to get this from doing a nine-hour course or reading a book. You really have to live this for three or four months. And that's why I've structured the course in such a way. And you probably, you will believe how many people have come to me and said, can you just give me all the content now? You know, I'll pay you for it. And I've said, no, because I want you to live this journey over three or four months. So at the end of it, you've not just learned about it, you've actually done some of it so at the end of it you can be a really great resource and can go off and do other things i just don't want to deliver the course of that because i do i want to make a, a difference and then you know we've got 25 people booked on at the moment i want them at the end of it to be able to talk in the same way i do about digital events yeah. not just having repeated some stuff they've heard on on a you know on a, a, a the read in a blog or they've heard on a podcast it's much more in depth and i know that by doing that I'm going to shrink the amount of people who want that, but I think the industry is desperate for people who who get it and they realise it's not just about pivoting what you do, it's about understanding the opportunities that digital brings. I think you need time to digest, think about the content that you're taking and like you say, if you can apply it as well to, to, to live it real, it'd be kind of like giving somebody a manual to a car and and saying right just read all that in the next day and then go off and fix it it just doesn't work our our brains don't work like that do we if, in fact if anything we've got so much information at our fingertips and in an instant we've become very like almost we scan over things don't we and we read the bits that we want to hear and we kind of disregard all the other bits and kind of make our own vision of something so i think delivering it over a short uh, over a longer term think is absolutely the right thing to do in terms of making sure that all of those 25 people that come out of the back end of this course in this first iteration get the most out of it um i think it's amazing that maybe I, I just wanted to i wanted to get one thing across before i left and i have i've got a and um, you won't be surprised i've got a demo a platform demo in like one minute but um it's we, we've all been we've all been pushed to online 
and completely understandable. And what I've been trying to do for years is to get people to feel like they've been, they've been pulled towards it. Okay, so online events are fantastic for five reasons. And the first one is that scale is there. If you've got an online event, you can scale it so much wider than you've been able to do with your physical events. It's a lot lower risk a lot lower risk and this is something that's really good for you to consider sticking with the third and for me the most important and i would love to do a separate interview podcast with you on the sustainability aspect but online events are hundreds of times more sustainable than physical events and we've got to use this opportunity to make a much more positive impact because the events industry does a lot of damage and online events it's not a it's not a sustainability silver bullet but it makes a big difference and that now so much of your marketing is online and digital and it just mm. makes sense that having a product that people can click on and see rather than click on and attend makes sense and then the final thing is um it's a lower cost to attend which means there's potentially higher profit and these are all things that i've been saying for years to the events industry and no one was listening and it's really good now to have people who are listening i just hope that they're listening enough not to think it's just for six months but it's something that they can look at in a much longer period of time i think unfortunately mate, there's a lot of people out there that are just looking at it for six months but i think the savvy people the switched on and the ones that will have much rounded healthier businesses that are also protected from future things that might happen like pandemics and, and events not being able to happen will have the better businesses in, in my own personal opinion. Um, I'd absolutely love to get you back on the sustainability side of things because that was one of our major decisions to launch the Sustainable Event Awards as from, its, from its outlet as a totally digital um, event, no, manifest, no physical manifestation of it other than maybe an award that we might send to the winners. Um, and I think that's such a key part of what the, the benefit of online and hybrid events going forward. For anybody listening or watching, how can they connect up with you if they want to reach out about consultancy and how, where do they go about the virtual? Uh, well, if they want to talk about consultancy, they'll have to speak to me after the summer because I'm full, I'm, I'm fully booked, um, which is, which is a great, but also such a shame because I'm really passionate about what I do. And that was one of the other reasons that we set up the training course is that I can cover 25, yeah. 30 organizations uh, and, and both best way to find that is on my website, which is gallusevents.co.uk. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. A lot of people uh, know me as uh, William Events, and some people know me as Willie Gallus, thinking my second name is Gallus and not Thompson. So I'm, I'm not difficult to find. But yeah, the, the, the course, um, uh, the cart officially closes on the 31st of May, but we're keeping it open for the first week so that you can still join before the second week's content. So, um, uh, and, and they can always contact you. To, to get to me as well because you've been passing me a few people who are interested so I appreciate it. I'm your conduit um I think I probably made that mistake as well mate Com uh, giving you I've, I think I probably called you William Gallus William Thomas William Thompson oh, oh I'm terrible with names I'm, I, must, I must admit mate thank you so much for coming on today I know it's been short and brief um and I really appreciate you giving us the time because I know you're so busy we'll definitely get you back on because I think there's other areas I want to dig into your experience and your thoughts I think you're, you're great Everybody, follow William online. He's very outspoken. He, he doesn't um, shrink by coming forward. He's, he's very outspoken on, on the good and the bad side of our industry. Um, William, thanks for coming on today, and we'll catch you soon. Brilliant. Speak to you soon. Thanks.